Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan, known hater of green sacks. <laughs> Ethan, <laughs> welcome to the show. How does it feel to hate green? It feels great. I hate green in all sets, of course. Um, never as, wear as green you know. clothing. I never wear green clothing. Um, <laughs> my son's eyes like are currently maybe a little green. I hope that changes. Um, no, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I do hate green in this format. Is that allowed? That is definitely allowed. You are 100% right about green being the worst color. Among other things, we have a lot to catch up on our last episode. I think there was a lot we got right, but also a lot of new discoveries that I want to talk about. I can't wait. I like I was saying, I don't think I've seen you this happy playing magic since Dominaria United. Oh, for sure. And I might like I don't think this format is as good as Dominaria United, but I am having more fun, I think. This is the most fun I've had playing magic in a long, long time. I have just been eating people's salt. Just <laughs> fueling it i have been salt roped more in the last week than i have in my entire time playing arena i think that is not something that i would be wanting to brag about but i do know that that's like sort of one of the things you like you like the zero sum aspects of magic you want to be having all the fun yeah i want to balance i want all the permanents and i want my opponents to have none <laughs> that's awesome yeah you know it's so weird with like i don't know the cycle of of limited formats these days you know we do our 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 previews episode then we do the crash course we had a chance to like play with the cards a little bit post crash course and but now this is what the fourth episode we're going to be doing on this set and it just came out this week isn't that wild it is kind of wild but i'm here for it i mean that's what yes. we have to do to keep up with people that are drafting i mean that's i know what the show is geared towards right that's that's our mission statement and we have to honor it i agree no so i'm i'm very excited uh, i've i've gotten to watch your stream uh, a handful of times this week um so I, I sort of have a sense of what what you've got going on i don't really have anything very exciting i think uh, from my perspective but we have a ton to talk about obviously we we'll be looking at re-rankings of of colors and top commons and we're going to talk about blue white bath song loops we're going to look at draft logs we got a lot to dive into this week first things first few housekeeping things let's talk about the patreon page real quick patreon.com slash lords limited is where folks can go to get back to the show if they so choose a lot of great perks over at the patreon page of course you get access to the lords of limited discord it's hopping it's popping people are posting trophies that's got to be the best part of the new format dropping is the trophy channel. Obviously, the card evaluation discussion, big picture discussions, but checking in on those trophies, seeing what decks people are winning with, if anybody is winning with green, how are they doing it? How did they get there? You know, um, but really just getting to see what decks are working, what cards are existing in those, you know, busted trophy decks, etc. really helps you get a picture of, you know, what winning archetypes look like in a format early on. Get access to a bunch of other stuff as you move up the reward tiers, access to the show notes, access to the episode a day in advance, ad-free, access to a private section of the Discord, and even access to monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben. So if any or all of that sounds of interest to you, or you just want to give back to the show, please head on over to the Patreon page. And we also want to shout out our new patrons. The first week that they join, I'm going to ask Ben to help me in welcoming this week, Norby, Brendan, Lane, Seth, Brian, Myers, Lawson, Devin, Matthew, Meagles, Christopher, Francisco, Brad, William, Lucas, Robert, Nick, Ryan, Kazi, Sebastian, and Andrew. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by Cool Stuff Inc., coolstuffinc.com, where they've got cool stuff in stock, and that cool stuff is still Lord of the Rings, Tales of Middle Earth. You know my usual pitch. I like this format. 
And I think I'm going to store a booster box <laughs> in my closet. <laughs> I mean, it's the go-to move for me. At some point, I'm going to have eight people in person, and we are just going to have a draft extravaganza. It's going to be epic. Wow. All the boxes that I've got stored in my closet. How big is your closet? It's very large. I'm single. Okay. I have an apartment. I don't own many things other than Magic the Gathering oh, cards. <laughs> great. I love it. Love to yeah, see it. Lots of room up there for a Lord of the Rings, Tales of Middle Earth booster box. And if your closet has room for one too, and you want to go to coolstuffinc.com and get one, please use checkout code LOL when you check out to let them know that we sent you over there and also get 5% off whatever you order. And they've got other stuff besides Magic the Gathering cards too. So if you're a fan of board games, other stuff, Check it all out, coolstuffinc.com, and please use checkout code LOL, all caps. All right, Ben, where do you want to start? I don't know. I am overwhelmed <laughs> with how much I want to talk about this format. I think mostly just catching up about what we kind of got wrong. And also, you're crushing, right? You've been top 10 mythic. I've been like between 50 and 100 right now. And I think... I personally feel very good about how I'm drafting and expect that to keep going up. Yeah, my crushing, you know, came off the heels of, you know, a couple back to back trophies went like seven, one, seven, one, seven, oh, and high no big deal, you know, I mean, not a, not no big deal, but I also feel very keyed in. I think we got a lot of the stuff right. And I'm just sort of doing that. Like you look at all of my draft logs. I don't touch green at all. I'm drafting all of the other color pairs. I actually it's sad for me to look as I'm looking down the, the list of my 17 lands draft logs, color pairs. I haven't gotten to draft blue white yet. I've I've tried and it just <laughs> like I know that some draft logs black has like dried up. Black has not been dry for me in a lot of my pods. Like I'm getting in to black, red, blue, black, white, black quite a bit. Um, so black and red have been um, primary colors for me uh, in a lot of my drafts. So I haven't gotten to dip into blue, white yet. But yeah, just just following honestly a lot of what we talked about last week. One of the things that I th I think you said this week that. I, you know, I had been maybe dancing around in my head, but I, as I often say, here's, I'm, you're going to get some compliments this week, Ben. I know you were dying for some last <laughs> week, but I think you had really put in to words the idea of, I think if you're, if you're not like hyper aggressive, which is basically just red, white, uh, some other flavors of some other decks, you're building a control deck in this format, which is, you know, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I'm like, are we ever going to get a format where, that's the case where like control is good and is like the main thing to do. I think this might be it. Oh, it's back with a vengeance. And yeah. I don't think people remember how to do it. Like, no, <laughs> like, literally, because it doesn't show up in the data and people are slaves to the data. So they're like, om nom, 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 nom. Let me look at game in hand win rate and feed that into my mouth. And they're just leaving all the control Easy, cards big on the sideline. <laughs> Easy, buddy. We want people to listen to the episode, not turn it <laughs> off. I have done my due diligence. I peeked at the data today like a good boy so that I could reference it with knowledge before the episode. Excellent. But yeah, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if I've done anything wildly differently you know i'm aware of this your your uh, thoughts about the bath song which is sort of a, and the loops deck which is what our our title is in reference to among other things that i think like we're we're in line and a lot of the stuff we talked about last week you know we've got some individual shifts but the color rankings that we outlined last week i think we're still in line with really right yeah, I think it depends on how you want to do it. I, I think for me, the format looks like this as far as archetypes go. If we looked at some archetype power rankings, I would say we were very close last week. I would say tier one are the six non-green archetypes, personally. And I, other people would probably say there's like a group of red, black, black, like white, the and red, white, the Mardu yeah. color pairs would say that that is tier one. I feel very strongly that blue, black, blue, red, and blue, white are 
equally as good as those and even better if you're in a pod where black or red, you know, that stuff is contested by other top drafters because mm-hmm. the, the only decks I lose to when I'm drafting those good blue decks are like the best versions of the Mardu color pair decks, not not yes. like even the medium plus versions. Right. And then I think tier two, black, green, kind of blue, green, although the data says blue, green is the worst, which surprised me. And then I, tier three, I would say red, green, and green, white. A- anytime my opponent leads on a forest, I just feel like I cannot lose. <laughs> it's so filthy. And I have lost to green decks. Like, yes, I feel like I'm like, oh, I can't lose when a- my opponent plays a forest. I have lost to green decks, largely if they curve out on me and I can't, you know, for some reason I've stumbled or kept a sketchy hand in some way, maybe, um, or just, you know, they go threat, 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 and I can't quite keep pace. But I am not interested in drafting green at all. I even, and we may look at this in a draft log. I even like speculated on a you know pick four, pick five, uh, the blue green Elrond rare. Cause I was like, well, maybe, you know, if, if I'm at the table where I'm the only person drafting blue green, you know, maybe I'll get hooked up and maybe I don't want to, maybe the tide is starting to turn. I don't think the tide is turning yet in terms of green getting dra- overdrafted relative to its strength, in my opinion. Right. I will say the one thing that is pleasantly surprising, at least in the drafts I've been in, black has not been obscenely, obscenely open. I think for the start of a format, for how imbalanced the colors are, people seem to kind of at least know what's up some of the time. Yeah, some of the time. I, I don't know. My, my drafts have I'm largely if I've wanted to draft black, I can so far, um, which, you know, I assume will will change eventually. It's quite a, a deep color, but so I think it can support many people at the table. But I, I would like to be able to dip into some other things. And I imagine that eventually you and I will have some intel on green um, and, and what it can do in the format other than l- help you loop the bath song. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's not yet. I don't think that's where we're at, at least in the best of one cues on arena. Right. So I think if we go into color rankings, I feel good about what we said last week. But I think I kind of want to frame it in two ways leading up to, you know, potentially steering towards drafting this blue white bath song loop stack that we've been alluding to. But I think the most straightforward thing, if you're paying attention to the data, is black one, red two, white third, blue fourth, green fifth. I think that is Mm -hmm. what the data would tell you. I think that's what most top drafters that are following the data would tell you is true. If you buy into my assumption that control is great in the format and that drawing cards is great in the format, I think blue shoots up, but it also has to change how you draft. And there, yeah. there's some give and takes as well. So I don't I wouldn't necessarily recommend going into this 100%, but I want to lay it out there for people that want to do it. So I think if you're into the idea that blue and control decks are good or that the bath song is good, I would say the color rankings go black one, blue two, red three, white four, green five. And it, it just is drafting a different way. And it, a lot of it is preferences. I think if you want to steer towards an assertive, aggressive archetype, I think you want to steer into the Mardu colors. And I think if you want to steer control, you steer into blue and black pretty hard and and noticeably even blue potentially more than black. But the rub is I've gotten myself into trouble sometimes because I love blue so much at this point that I have missed up on times when I'm supposed to have been black, but I I don't really care because I'm having so much fun playing blue. That's the thing is I was telling Ben before the show, before we recorded, that I was like, I feel like I the roles are reversed and I'm the one who's like, it doesn't have to be like this. Like you're drafting, <laughs> you're drafting the, the back door deck when you could be going in the front door and you're like, I don't care. I li- I'm winning and I like it. And yeah. that's and that's uh, it's a fun uh, little shift for us for the summer. 
It really is. And I think, to be clear, the thing about Mardu that's not interesting to me is that this is, I think we both would agree, whatever this means to everyone, a fairly straightforward set or a core set or whatever you want to call it. Like, there's not a ton of complexity in the drafts or in the archetypes. Certainly, if you're drafting the Mardu color pairs as the places to be. And and if you're drafting them assertively, you know, black, white gets into that more controlling end of the spectrum, I would say, you know, if you're doing some sacrifice stuff, if you're doing ring tempting to, you know, loot or whatever, get in with your one power things or, you know, looping your golem patient plotter and the one one haunt, you know, that sort of stuff, you can get into a grindy situation. But I agree, the more sort of like, straightforward, streamlined, assertive versions of those, it's it's pretty clear cut. Well, and that's the beauty of black red and black white is that they're also capable of just slapping you right they right. they can curve out but they also can grind really well also and their card quality is just very high and i think largely very straightforward which is why they're performing so well in the data because the cards do what they say they're going to do but what i've found personally playing those color pairs one it feels more like a core set to me which i have not enjoyed but also it feels tough to get an edge because you're smacking the same cards against each other and then the people that draw the better ones win the game by and large like it's not quite that straightforward but that is how i have felt playing those style of decks whereas when i'm playing blue decks with bass song loops i feel like i am playing an entirely different game of magic than my opponent yeah i had a really fascinating game the other day in a blue red mirror where My opponent, I mean, I was like barely affecting the board early. I think my opponent didn't do anything for like six turns or something. Like they were just on land go. And then I had to sort of decide like, okay, you're holding up a counterspell. And then it became this like us trying to cast these like 15 damage Gandalf sanctions. (laughs) And then having to like kill our own things in response or like bounce our own things or counter wars. It was a a wild game of magic that I haven't played. And yeah, you just don't get those really if you're playing the Mardu color pairs against each other. I agree with that, that the edges are small. I think they largely come from like how much ring tempting do you have assigning your ring bearer correctly, killing your opponent's ring bearer correctly, that sort of thing. Right. So uh, I think... You know, if you want to do that, like you can certainly do that and you can follow the data. And honestly, that's probably what you should do if you want to maximize your win rate. But once you get tired of doing that, because I do think that will probably get old for most people, the blue decks are so fun to play. So if you want to end up in those aggressive decks, put the Mardu colors at the top. If you want to end up in some sweet blue control decks, because I think blue, black, blue, red, and blue, white are all very fun to pilot and have tons of decisions. You just need to move blue up in your pick order. But you also need to know that you're drafting control decks and kind of what that entails for you as the draft is going along. And they're all fairly distinct too. So you need to kind of like edge it out and feel it out before you commit to a color pair and then like really lean in hard to whatever that color pair is doing. Yeah. And I mean, not to try and make this another, I don't know, staple of our show, but maybe it should be. I think there's a bit of gumption when you are deciding to do what you're doing right now, Ben. Like you are... (laughs) <laughs> You're sort of eschewing a lot of like the 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 norms for the format or a lot of limited norms for like, no, I'm just going to take these card draw spells and these loop pieces. And I know the sort of boxes I need to check. 
or I'm going to trust that by taking pieces X and Y that Z is going to come. There's, there is some trust the process happening in the decks you're drafting. Oh, for sure. There's definitely a field of dreams, build it and the bass song will come yes. type of mentality. Like I kind of assume I'm getting the bass song at least one copy when I'm drafting these decks. And so far it has panned out, but I think the decks are functional even if you don't get the bath song just as control decks i think control is a good place to be because and the reason that that is true is the overall power level especially the rares is pretty low and that's what you were saying last week as well that like you weren't like digging it because the rares didn't push you in a direction but what that does open up is a reason to draft control decks because then you know you're not randomly going to get got by some card that invalidates you know the three four five card advantage you've accrued over your opponent, you know, because there's just yeah. not haymakers like that in the set. So you you are incentivized to try to two for one your opponent or cast divinations or cast your, you know, Lorian revealed and draw three. Yeah, it's interesting. So I did say this, I think it was not on the show, but on uh, your stream last week, I was saying like, I was saying that I miss playing with good rares. And I know this is like a controversial thing. This is like my whole bit of like, I think rares are good. I think bombs are good. I don't really care when they're, you know, wonky or whatever. Like the highest performing rare in the format is like Orcish Bowmaster right now, I think. That card is my kryptonite. Oh my God, it crushes me. That card is very, very good, but it's not a bomb, right? The, the like the best rares in the set are like, you know, efficient two for ones. That's about it. They're not these like tox rills, these game breaking rares that we've seen in recent sets or whatever. Um, and that is a bug for me in like the sense of what I like in limited. Like I like looking in the upper left and being like, Ooh, what's this new fun card I get to play with. That's why I loved March so much is like double the rares, right? Double the things that you could be like, Oh, this is a fun thing to get to draft. Either it's powerful or it changes my pick order or whatever. But I've sort of started to lean into, okay, so the up the card in the upper left of the pack is a blank most of the time. And that's fine. And this feels not to not that like all sets have to be compared to cubes, but this feels kind of like a peasant cube to me, right? That like it's just limited. Like people are always like, what if we just played limited with commons or uncommons? Well, guess what? That's what we're <laughs> doing in this format, right? Like, so it's it's smaller edges that you gain in terms of, you know, the, the power of your cards versus your opponent's cards, because you're unlikely to face these big swingy bombs. But that's kind of fun, more to your point of like, you can build control decks, you can build engines, you can feel confident that your your strategy isn't going to get destroyed by just one random mythic. Yeah. And I will say too, I was thinking about this on the drive home, I was just at a concert for whatever approach you're going to take, whether you whether you subscribe to the Mardu data, like black red it's not, cards, it's also are... not just data. I you, I know you're trying to lump it in. Like <laughs> the Mardu colors are just good, buddy. They are just good. I agree. <laughs> okay, so whether you subscribe to just drafting the most obviously good thing in the format, because we we kind of had pegged black as the best color going in. I think it has borne out to be far and away the best color. However you want to think about it, it doesn't matter. The way I've been framing it in my head, kind of, which makes me a little sad as an analogy to music is that doing that Mardu stuff is kind of like classical music. And I'm, I'm a very classical musician. Like you have the things you do the stuff, like you've practiced it, you pick the cards, they do what they're going to say. And you try to win just through sheer card quality. I think the Mardu colors largely are, but once you get blue up in the old pick order, like way more free form, like jazz, like you're just doing something totally different. You're playing in circles around the straightforward cards. And I kind of alluded to this last week where in early access, I I said the black cards are good, but they're not more than the sum of their parts. 
which I do still kind of stand by. They are raw, rate, excellent, but they don't combine very well to do interesting things other than amass sacrifice synergies that are like really apparent in red black, which is why I think red black largely the best color pair at mm-hmm. face value. But other than that, you know, Dunlin Corbain is a great card. It doesn't do a ton more than being a great card. And once you draft these control decks, you have a strategy that's way more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, let's get into some card evaluation shifts, and then we can maybe look at some draft logs. Yeah, so let's check back in on the top commons. So we gave a list that I think was largely good last week, but just to touch base, because I I feel very good about where I'm at with top commons now, and also just what the colors offer you, right? Mm -hmm. So at white top commons, I feel very strongly that number one is Aaron Rider of Gondor. That's the the tuna white 3-2 that draws a card, and then you have to put a card on the bottom unless you control a legendary. It is pretty trivially easy to control a legendary. And even if you don't, the looting effect is awesome on ETB. Big agree with that. Number two, we've got Banished from Edoras. Really interesting that like white has all of these different removal spells and that the five mana one is the one that's that's making its way into our top commons, but I feel good about it. It's four and a white for a sorcery to exile target creature, but it only costs two and a white if the creature is tapped. And I would also say if you're drafting the Mardu approach, you probably want Hobbit Sting in this spot instead of banish from Edoras, assuming that your your deck is proactively affecting the board. I think if you're dra- as someone who is drafting the Mardu way or whatever that is, I will say <laughs> you white's not bringing the removal pieces, you know? Yeah, like, that's fair. Like banish from Edoras is good if you're drafting, if you are in white black and you just like don't get the lashes or something, you know, or you don't get the claims for some reason, but you don't want it in white red. I assume it's best home is white blue as a, because it's a, you know, a nice, just get it done, get it exiled spell that you don't get elsewhere. I don't think Hobbit Sting is great. Okay, that's fair enough. And in the number three slot, Protector of Gondor, that's three and a white for the three, three, it brings a one, one soldier along with it. Just excellent in red, white and white, black, I think. Yeah, yeah, big agree on that. And so white as a color at common, I think largely gives you aggressive board presence, right? But the beauty of Errand Rider and Banish is that they're also excellent in these white, blue control decks that I like to draft. But face up, white gives you aggressive stuff at common. But the uncommons in white give you amazing control tools, which is partially why this blue white deck is so awesome, because you get a lot of these white premium uncommons late because people that are following the the aggressive, proactive approaches aren't in for like the Tales of Tenuvial Saga or Build a Pony, like isn't necessarily great in a white aggressive deck and is just absolutely premium in these white control decks. Yeah, I'm just looking at 17 lands right now. Tale of Tenuvial is the last among whites uncommons in terms of game in hand win rate there's also you cannot pass which is a really nice little removal spell in these decks like especially like black white or whatever where you are getting a lot of legendaries where you are doing a lot of ring tempting i think you cannot pass is quite good lost to legend is in there there's obviously bill and samwise and reprieve is a nice little tempo play like white's uncommons are just excellent the fact that like tail is quote unquote the worst and i think tail is an excellent card i think speaks volumes about white's uncommons for sure moving on to blue commons number one birthday escape i think i still stand by that it's close i'm probably picking number two over number one but i think birthday escape as the top common is probably the best advice for the general public that single blue for the sorcery draw card ring tempts you 
Yeah, I'm, I'm in for birthday escape number one. Props to you for shouting this out last week. We've got Lorien Revealed still in the number two slot. That's the uh, Island Cycler. That's three blue blue for the sorcery. Draw three card is just awesome. In the number three slot, I've got Glorious Gale and Pelagir Survivor kind of tied. I'm picking the first Pelagir Survivor over the first Glorious Gale, I think. So Survivor is the one in a blue one three that can tap to add a man of any color to cast spells only. Then you can pay six mana and tap it to mill your opponent for three. That part is rarely relevant. Usually it's just a mana dork that also wears the the ring well. You're telling me you haven't milled someone out with Survivor yet? I have rarely activated it. One time I think I've milled someone out with Survivor. Yeah, I think Survivor's pretty real. I, I love that card. I want to just like shout out two mana one threes are great. Like one threes. This is par- partially why control decks are so good is that like High toughness creatures are good in this format also because they are good ring bearers as well as we talked about last week. But then just like all, all of the two ones are so bad, so bad. Well, and the, the beauty about the one threes and the control decks is they do what you want as defensive speed early. And then once you're ringed up to four, they finish the game. They're also excellent finishers. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I'm in for Survivor as number three. I'm not in for Glorious Gale. Like I think Glorious Gale is... I would put it as filler, personally. Like, I think it's fine. I, like, I'm not embarrassed to run it. I'm never looking to put it in my decks. It's a late game card for me. Like, I'm fine with one to two copies in these control decks because you don't, you're not ever actively holding up mana to try to nab something with Glorious Scale because that's when you get got. But late in the game, once you have seven, eight, nine mana, it just feels like your opponent can't do anything once you're holding a Glorious Scale in hand. Yeah, that's fair. And then also, the other thing I want to shout out about blue, black, we've talked about being incredibly deep. Blue is so deep for controlling decks. It's deep if you subscribe to what you're talking about. Yes, absolutely. If you subscribe to the idea that control is good and that you want to steer towards control decks, because you also get Treason of Isengard. It's a two and a blue, two, two, a mass. Um, that lets you put a spell back on top of your library, which is really important for card selection. And also Soothing of Smeagol is excellent just in a variety of decks one in a blue instant bounce a non-token thing and then the ring tempts you well and i mean this is a great spot i think to just talk about ring tempting tacked onto anything is good right i mean like it doesn't matter what its percentage of a card is but like the more ring tempting you have the better all your other ring tempting stuff gets like i i'm currently i'm can't wait to stop recording so i can go play this awesome <laughs> blue black deck that i have that just has so much ring tempting it's got like double birthday surprise sam's desperate whatever re- rescue it's got three claim the precious like there's so much ring tempting in there and it's just trivially easy to make something a, a really powerful threat at any point in the game and those are almost their own archetypes too, like blue, black, yes. ring tempt, and blue, red, ring tempt. Those are the two color pairs I found that do the turbo ring tempting the best. Right, because Bilbo is the blue, red Bilbo is so gross because like it's whenever it enters or leaves the battlefield. So if it if you bounce it or blink it or whatever, like you're just turbo ring tempting in those colors. Yeah, so I, I think. Blue, if you're drafting blue as control and want to end up in a control deck, blue is extraordinarily deep and flexible. Yeah, big agree. Moving on to black, no changes here really, except I I would maybe start to argue for Dunlund Corbane over Claim the Precious as number one. So Corbane is the one one that brings a 2-2 along with it, and Claim the Precious is the one black black sorcery kill a thing ring tempts you. Yeah, I'm not going to start taking them like that because you can get 
Kerbane's like pick eight for some reason right now, and you can't get claim the preciouses that late currently. But I, I they're very close. I, I'm I'm with you that they're very very close. And then like the next six to seven black commons are also just excellent and rock solid. Right. I think we have mortar muster as the the third one there. That's the one in a black amass one draw card lose a life. But you know, t- take your pick. Yeah. And then in red, want to come out with number one, Rally at the Hornburg. Like we kind of danced around this last week a little bit. I feel pretty strongly that Rally at the Hornburg is number one. Yeah. Rally is excellent. It makes me really sad that this probably means it can't win the golden egg, right? Like <laughs> because it's the best red common and just one of the best commons in the set overall. But it just, you know, if it, green decks aside, like it's excellent in black red as two bodies, excellent in red white as two humans, excellent in red blue as a spell that affects the board. It's just just does it all. Yeah. Um, not to say that Smite the Deathless, I don't think is is bad in any respect. That's the one in a red deal three. Um, if the thing would die, you exile it instead. That's our number two. And number three, feeling really good about Rohirrim Lancer as the call last week, the one mana, uh, one one menace when it dies, the ring tempts you. Every time my opponent plays Mountain Rohirrim Lancer on one, I feel bad. Yeah, it's a problem for sure. Especially Rohirrim Lancer gets better the more ring tempting you have. Like just Correct. as an aggressive red white card, not that impressive. Like it, it really is a true in these ring tempting archetypes type card. Right. Well, and, and again, gets better the more of exactly Lancers you get. Cause like there's, it's such an annoying yeah. card to try and get off the battlefield. And as soon as you do, you dump your ring bearing onto another Lancer. And then your opponent's like, well, what the heck am I supposed to do about this now? You know, and menace on the one, one makes it so they have to have two one power things to block it. Like it's just a really, really good card. Right. And they're almost always trading down if they're using removal on it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's a, a, a miserable experience. And then green, don't draft green for common, I think, would be the takeaway. I mean, I said it, said it last week. I'm going to say it again. I don't think you draft green for common, uncommon, <laughs> or honestly rare at this point for me. Like, we'll, we will talk about it when it's open, right? When things even out or whatever. But I really feel strongly that green, I'm sure, you know, we're going to get an influx of people tagging us or tweeting at us like, well, I trophied with this green deck. I'm not saying you can't win with green. I'm just saying you shouldn't. You don't need to right now. And the the risks associated with drafting green are not nearly worth whatever rewards you can get. I would co-sign that completely. Okay, uh, moving away from those top commons, let's talk about some specific movers up and movers down. Well, first of all, we've alluded to this, but anything with the ring tempts you, and I think we shouted that out last week too, but even more for me this week, just that it plays so well with itself. So something as simple as Relentless Rorim, that's the three and a red four, three ETB, the ring tempts you, like that looks like a pretty filler bad magic card that's mm-hmm. pretty good if you care about ring tempting right and and so it's not to say that like as your only instance of ring tempting relentless or is going to be good no that's not what we're saying but but if you have six ring temps yeah then relentless rohirrim as your seventh is like all right i'm here for this yeah we shouted out banish from edoras as the a really good removal spell especially in blue white want to talk about this as we alluded to soothing of smeagol being good isolation at orthanc I think moving down to filler, you know, like fine if you need interaction, but not anything to write home about. That's the three and a blue um, instant speed. Put a thing second from the top on your opponent's library. It's just too expensive. I I have played a copy usually in these blue control decks, mostly out of necessity of needing another spell that is a removal spell, but Mm -hmm. it is is not important and should not be picked highly at all. Well, because honestly, the best 
uses of it are either if your opponent's going tall with a mass, you get to just have a clean answer to that, which Soothing of Smeagol can't do. Or what's nice is because it's an like automatic, it goes to top. Like a lot of these spells recently we've seen are choices of they can put it top or bottom if they want. Um, where you're gonna go like, ooh, here's like a bad two drop or whatever. I'm gonna tuck that, you know, I mean you tuck your one one menace back into your deck and force you to draw it. But what a what an abysmal way to trade down on mana, you know? Yeah, just been tough for that card. Yeah. Speaking of tough for cards, Ithilian Kingfisher, the two and a blue two one flyer, when it dies, you draw a card card just does not do it the blue just plays a different game than this card wants to and it just doesn't have a home it just two ones and three ones i'll say it over and over because i keep seeing them played it's a terrible stat line there are obviously some exceptions they're mostly at uncommon like samwise is still very very good but not because it's a two mana two one golem patient plotter is very very good but not because it's a two mana three one, you know, like these one toughness creatures because of a mass, because of one, one spirit tokens, even if they're flying like Kingfisher is, they're just not good cards. You really got to be careful about including them in your deck. Well, and also because of fear fire foes, to be honest, oh, like God. that card is broken yeah. in half. Yeah. Fear fire foes is brutal. The other day I had, uh, what is it called? Oath of the host or whatever. Mm-hmm. The black saga. I went, that on turn four, that on turn five. And my opponent, I was just like, I was like, what's, what are they going to do? What do they got going on over there? And they did have a fear fire foes coming for me, but luckily I saved a removal spell for my own creature to kill it out from under fear fire foes to save all my one toughness creatures on those lines. I've kind of made the leap of since fear fire foes feel so good. I have liked main decking one copy of the black breath. Because a lot of Black's worst matchups are huh. the, the go wide style decks because so much of its removal is kill a good thing that Black Breath just as a silver bullet of if you're in a jam, like it almost always trades with at least one thing. And sometimes you nab a board full of soldiers and the game is just over on the spot. It's also got ring temps you on it. It just does enough. And similarly, the one in a red deal of damage to two things hmm. or exile an artifact. I think that's also main deckable as a one of. Yeah, I'm I'm into that. And I think especially the sort of sort of how we felt about blood, though I think because blood tokens actually cost mana, this ended up not bearing out. But with, you know, if you are in a deck like black decks often are, with lots of ring tempting, playing situational cards like the Black Breath doesn't feel as bad because if it's not a good card for you, you just pitch it. Right. You pitch it or in the control decks, because I've been playing control decks a lot. That's where I'm advocating for Black Breath or this yeah, red yeah. card. Not not in the proactive Mardu decks at all. But in the control decks, you're drawing enough cards, too, that if you draw a subpar card, it's not the end of the world because you're just like five cards ahead of your opponent <laughs> at that point, right? We talked about Peller Year Survivor as a mover up, the 1-3 blue mana dork. Talk to me about Mordor Trebuchet. This is the two and a black 1-4 artifact with Defender. If you attack with an orc or a goblin, you get to make a 2-1 flyer attacking until end of combat. I've seen mixed opinions on this card. I don't like it and i have not played it much to try to make it good but i have been able to make my opponents quite bad i just think it's pretty awkward in that when it's good you can make your opponents quite bad because you're not interested in attacking past a one four right but that's awkward right the fact that it itself is a three drop in what is ostensibly a largely proactive color i think like when you have attacks it feels great but when you don't it feels pretty terrible i think well and, and well, I, I will say in, in support of you as I'm looking, because I was I was curious, in support of you, Mordor Trebuchet is the lowest ranked 
black common by game and hand win rate currently. Okay. But, al- but also good. my, my argument was going to be that just curve. Like if you're in black, you should have claim the precious. You should have Dunlin Krebine. You should have whatever Urukai Berserker is, is good as a three mana, three, two ETB ring temps. Like th- you just don't have room for this for sure. Yeah. Next card, black card as well. Nasty end. This is the one on a black instant sacrifice a creature, draw two cards. And if the creature was legendary, you draw three cards. It's been a huge mover up for me, especially in the non blue decks that have black, because I think this is the best way to have card advantage for black decks. And it's so important to have card advantage, I think, just to not stall out sometimes in the games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it's certainly to try and go toe to toe with the decks that you've been drafting. Well, and also it's pretty easy to make a one one your ring bearer and just draw three, right? Like the, the fact that black gets a two mana draw three sometimes is just absurd. Yes, when you just get to sack your whatever one one a mass and draw three if it was legendary, or Haunt, which I just love, Haunt of the Dead Marshes. Can we talk about that? That's on our list. I love this card, obviously. Single black 1-1 one, one, when ETB scry one, and two in a black to return it from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped, only if you control a legendary. I have loved looping this with Golem Patient Plotter to like turbo ring tempt you, but just having this as like, a thing that wants you to have ring bearers so that you can return it. It's also a good ring bearer itself as a one power thing. Just, just love this card. Yeah, card's really annoying to play against too. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I will co-sign. I think that card's pretty good as a one of in every black deck. Yeah. Next up is Torment of Golem, three and a black for the sorcery, amass two, and then load your opponent's hand, take a card. This card is backbreaking against the style of decks I like to draft, but I also just think a great card in general in the format. Yeah, big agree on that. Big agree on this next one. Battle Scarred Goblins is the one on a red 2-2. When it becomes blocked by any creature, it deals damage to it. The data doesn't really say this is good. It's currently like whatever the seventh best red common, like a fine game in hand win rate, but I think largely because of just being boosted by red stats. You pegged this in the crash course when I was like, this is a good card. You were like, yeah, but where does it go? And that's exactly right. Like, it's like fine or whatever, but it just gets blanked too early and also just doesn't push enough damage as a two drop. Yeah, I put this on here because I keep seeing it on the other side of the battlefield in Mythic. And all I've done in the format is play in Mythic and I keep seeing Battle Scarred Goblin and I keep thinking it is atrocious every time I see it. I agree. Next up is Lembus. This is a really important piece in these blue loop your deck control pieces. So this is the two-mana artifact, ETB, scry one, draw a card, and then you can sack it to gain three life. And if it goes to the graveyard, it shuffles itself back into your library. This card is really important because a lot of times you have to leverage your life total and let your life total get low in order to finally stabilize. And then you're at risk of being burned out or something random happening. And Lembus, you know, getting your life total from five up to eight is a pretty big deal. And then the longer the game goes, the more often you draw your Lembus and then your life Mm. total just keeps getting buffered and buffered and buffered. It also just thins your deck so that you find the cards that you want to find more often. Right, Huge, that's hugely important to the control decks. Right, that scry as your deck gets smaller and smaller becomes even more relevant for you to find like the good things you need to draw. That makes sense to me. Like I, I haven't done this yet. I want to draft this deck. I'm shocked because it is right up your alley. I know. I just haven't. It hasn't uh, appeared to me yet. Next up is Rosy Cotton of South Lane. This card is excellent we were tricked i thought this was just like oh this is a green white card well no card is a green white card <laughs> but rosie's just good this is two and white for a one one when it enters the battlefield create a food token whenever you create a token put a plus plus one counter on target creature you control other than rosie this is 
excellent in black white with a mass. This is also excellent in red white with rally. Like, yeah, sometimes your red white decks, you know, this if they're hyper assertive and you don't want the three mana one one as like a bad rate for your aggressive decks, fine. But like Rosie's just really good. Well, and in black white with the spirit tokens is where it's the most bad. Oh my god, yeah. Right. If you have Rosie and then you make two spirits, like they're two two flyers for two mana. Yeah, for sure. Next up is Aomer of the Rulemark. I assume this is out, you know, on the data. It doesn't take much to look at the top of the data rankings, but this card's a beating. Five mana for the five four with haste. And whenever it attacks, if you control the creature with the highest power, which you almost always do when Aomer comes down, you make a one one. This is like a, a bigger, better chimney rabble. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Aomer is currently sitting at the top of the game at hand when right on commons overall for the set. Yeah, card's great. Uh, we've talked about this already. You've noticed none of it is in our, our top commons. We shouted them out last week, but the, the aura removal is terrible. Like stop. Unplayable. Not, it's, not terrible. Like, like, yeah, yeah. Unplayable. Do not put it in your deck. Truly, like Fog of on the Barrow Downs. I don't even know the name of the blue one. The, the black, there's maybe some scuttle about the black one being a necessary evil or something. They're all bad. Like, pl- please stop playing them. Yeah, real bad. I want to shout out Maneldor Swift Savior. This is a three and a blue three, three flyer. Phantom Monster is back because it has upside. <laughs> you when it attacks, <laughs> you get to blink something um, and you can blink itself to have vigilance as we, we talked about before. But uh, there's just so many ETBs in the format. I think Maneldor is really good. Yeah, if it goes uncontested, the game's usually over. The one rub is that it gets so owned by Smite the Deathless. But if if your opponent doesn't have that, it's almost always a great card. Yeah. And the last card I want to shout out, sitting at the bottom of the game and hand win rate for Red's Commons is Gimli's Axe. I think this card is actually good. Two and a red for an equipment. Equipped creature gets plus three plus oh. As long as equipped creature is legendary, it has menace and it has an equip cost of two. I think this is surprisingly very good in red aggressive decks because there aren't really anthems for this deck outside of like you know the uncommon three three that whenever a human etbs your team gets plus one plus oh turning your lancers your creatures that are already one one menacers that you're interested in or just your one one human tokens from rally into real threats later in the game i think is super helpful so be on the lookout for like a one of axe in your red aggro decks This is a wild take from you. I would not have expected that. If you tweeted out that like Gimli's Axe was a good card in red decks, I would have been like, whoa, that's Ethan's signal. He's been kidnapped. We we just (laughs) the search party. What happened? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Like you're doing all the blue loop stuff. I got to balance us out somehow. (laughs) It's funny. Uh, Should we take a look at some draft logs? Let's do. Okay. Uh, Let's start off with one of mine. I know we've got some some differences of opinions here in this draft. We're largely going to end up in the same spot here, but we wanted to make sure that we had a good chunk of time this episode to chat about uh, just how we're navigating packs, how we're thinking about things. So a couple land cyclers common here. We've got a Lorien Revealed. That's the blue land cycler that draws three cards. Troll of Kaza Doom, five and a black for the six, five. Can't be blocked except by three or more creatures. Uh, nothing else really at common. I guess the only other top common is protector of Gondor, the three and a white three, three that brings along a one, one looking at the uncommons. We got some bangers, Theoden, King of Rohan, one red, white for a two, three, uh, when it or another human enters the battlefield under your control target creature gains double strike until end of turn. Mr. Blue White, what's going on with Guahir the Windlord? Four white blue for a 4-4 with flying and vigilance. Other birds you control have vigilance, and the spell costs two less to cast as long as you've drawn two or more cards this turn. Garbaggio. Next card, please. 
Dang. All right. Faramir Field Commander is next. Three and a white for a 3-3 at the beginning of your end step. If a creature died under your control this turn, draw a card. And whenever the ring tempts you, if you choose a creature other than Faramir as your ring bearer, you make a 1-1 white human soldier creature token. And the rare is a blank, much like it is in every pack in this format. Sharky Tyrant of the Shire. Two blue black, two four, and then has a bunch of text about activated abilities of lands. Yeah, I think looking at this pack, I would say the best card is probably Theoden yes, King of Rohan. I agree. As far as like leading you towards the best deck with the highest win rate, probably. Faramir is probably the best card in black-white, would mm-hmm. be my guess. And like kind of playable in blue-white, but not really. I don't love Faramir there. And then I've only got eyes for Lorien Revealed. That, that's <laughs> in huge contention for me. Blue decks without a copy of Lorien Revealed are a disaster. And two is pretty ideal i think because the best part about blue is you have no cost to play this draw three and then when you're stable and you play a draw three the game is pretty much over so i would take lorian revealed here but i'm a crazy person and am pretty biased towards blue at this point so i could see i would probably take theoden if i were trying my hardest to win but i i like lorian revealed here yeah i think i should have taken theoden i didn't know guajir was uh garbaggio as i haven't played blue white yet so part of my thinking was i could take faramir and wheel you know maybe guajir maybe i don't know treason of isengard is in the pack to get into blue white maybe protector of gondor wheels whatever like i could just wheel a white card because there's a few other white cards in the pack but yeah i think i should have taken theoden the thing that's awkward about Guahir is it's an, a, largely an aggressive card and blue right. white isn't good at being aggressive. Well, and also the dream of like playing this on turn four or whatever can't ever happen, even if you know it's just hard to have like ring tempt, ring tempt and have affected the board. So you get to attack in with your ring bearer loot and then cast this for four. That's just like can't really happen. It's tough. You'd have to have a lot of birthday escapes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. Pack one pick two uh there's a smite the deathless one on a red for the instant deal three to target creature uh the creature loses indestructible until end of turn and if it would die you exile it instead there's also a claim the precious one black black for a sorcery destroy target creature the ring tempts you those are at the top of the common power rankings there at the uncommon slot this card isn't great but it is a legend with types it's gorbog of minas morgul one and a black for the two two whenever a goblin or orc you control deals combat damage to a player you may sacrifice it when you do choose one draw a card or create a treasure token a little bit of a combo tron with another bad card the the four mana two three flying bats that care about tokens or things being sacrificed so you know you sack a creature you sack your amass token trigger the bats you get a treasure trigger the bats that requires playing way too many terrible cards i know i'm just (laughs) saying it could happen and then in your your rare slot there's still fall of care andros two and a red for an enchantment whenever a creature an opponent controls is dealt excess non-combat damage amass orcs x where x is that excess damage and you can pay seven and a red to have fall deal seven damage to target creature have you played with this yet I have not, but it's on the to-do list. I have lost to it in the pre-release and sealed really hard. So largely, we're between Smite and Claim the Precious here, right? Yeah, I agree. I would take Claim the Precious myself over Smite. I have been pretty consistently underwhelmed by Smite, and Claim with the Ring Tempting tacked on has been excellent. Plus, I'd rather get into Black than Red. Also, with Faramir as your first pick, I think Claim pairs better with Faramir than Smite does. Yeah, I don't like this pick. I took the smite here. I don't like it over claim. It ends up panning out well for me. Um, spoiler alert, but I, I think I should have taken claim. Uh, pick three, pretty straightforward. We have a little bit of direction here as there's a Gandalf sanction in the pack. One blue red for the sorcery. 
Gandalf Sanction deals X damage to target creature where X is the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard. Excess damage is dealt to that creature's controller instead. I gotta say, I think your shout about this being Zenith Flare is pretty darn good. It's close. I mean, it's not Zenith Flare, but it no. does a reasonable facsimile. It's like a fixed Zenith Flare. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's pretty fair. And there's nothing really else in the pack. I think even if you went, whatever, if Faramir into Claim the Precious, you're still taking Gandalf Sanction here, right? Right. Well, I would have gone Lorien Revealed into, into, sure, sure, sure. into Claim, but I'm still also agree taking Gandalf Sanction here. And a nod to also, you're super far away from Gandalf Sanction, right? You have Faramir and Smite the Deathless at this point. And let's say you had even taken Claim. Like, let's say you had Faramir in Claim. You're still yeah. taking Gandalf Sanction because at this point in the draft, you just want to take the best cards because some of the packs that you see in this format are just atrocious, like no playables at all. And then you just kind of have to steer towards whatever kind of deck you want to end up in. But when there are cards that push you in a direction, it's really important, I think, to take those cards. I couldn't agree more. I think the Gandalf sanction here is it feels like a breath of fresh air. And if you subscribe to my feeling about the rarities in this format, where like the rares largely don't matter, like even the best ones are like fine, but then the signposts uncommon sort of become your build around rares. Like you see the sanction, and you're like, okay, that's a deck. That's a thing to do. Like, well, why would you not take it? You know? Yeah, I, I like it. Um, all right, pack one, pick four. I, I decided I should maybe not hate on green so bad because there's still a card that I think is good. I've seen it be good. This is Elrond, Master of Healing. This is a rare two green blue for a 4-4. Whenever you scry, you put a plus and plus one counter on each of up to X target creatures where X is the number of cards looked at while scrying this way. And then whenever a creature you control with a plus and plus one counter on it becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, you may draw a card. Now, you could take Rohirrim Lancer, but it doesn't, that's not great in the Gandalf Sanction deck, right? And you could take it if you wanted to be red, white aggro and, you know, stay open or whatever. There's this, I don't know, Protector of Gondor, another four mana three, three, bring along a one, one. There's a Sam's Desperate Rescue. I know Ben only has eyes for blue card draw with Arwen's Gift. Three there it is. Sorcery. I was waiting, like, come I, on. I, I know. <laughs> three and a blue for the sorcery, uh, scry two, then draw two. But I, I honestly was like, look, if, you know, pick four, I don't think it's late for this. But if green blue is like wide open at the table, maybe it's worth taking. So here's my pitch. I, th yeah. I, don't, I don't like this pick because I think you're so unlikely right now to draft blue green that you're not supposed to do this. Let's say this is, I don't know, like a black red gold card or a black white gold card that's comparable. Then you absolutely take it because the likelihood that you end up in that deck is so much higher. But seriously, Arwen's Gift is perfect with both Smite and Gandalf sanction. Mm -hmm. And then by passing the Elrond, like maybe you're putting people into green to your left and your pack two is going to be better. I, I do in all seriousness, like taking Arwen's gift over Elrond here. Yeah, I'm still my I'm still hesitant about the Arwen's gift of it all, Ben, I have to say, like, I haven't seen the light yet. Now I haven't drafted your loops deck yet. But it is really hard for me to be like, well, I'm stuffing my deck full of Bath Song and Lorien Revealed, which I'm on board for, and Birthday Escape, which I'm on board for, and maybe some Lembus, which I'm on board for. <laughs> but like, how many wheel spinny card draw spells can I put in my deck? And I know your answer is going to be all of them. Not all but... of them, like 
five copies, I think. And it's hard it's- for me. So my my pushback to you about the Elrond pick, I hear what you're saying about I'm so unlikely to end up there. I do think if like next pack, there's an Arwen, the green, blue, uncommon. I think I just like take that and go, let's try is, is my feeling. Maybe. Yeah. I, I just think I, Arwen's gift is just not high enough in the pecking order for me. I think honestly, if I'm not taking Elrond here, I am gonna, I am personally taking Rohirrim Lancer. That's fair. Um, for the red white life, and then regretting passing the the Theoden. So then pick five, not much, right? And then I didn't, I don't get the green blue uh, signpost next. So Elrond is probably done. Um, I pick up a black mana cycler, the Troll of Kazadoom. Anything else you like here? No, I mean, there's Protector of Gondor, but I think you're pretty off Faramir at this point. I think so. Pick six, though, I do get a Saruman's Trickery and there's a Grishnok. So Saruman's Trickery is the, the counterspell that has a mass one. And Grishnok is the two and a red one one. Uh, when it ETBs, you amass orcs two. And then when you do, you gain control of target non-legendary creature and opponent controls with power less than or equal to the amassed army's power. You untap it and the creature gains haste until end of turn. This was tough. Because I think Grishnok is a better card than Trickery, but Grishnok is worse than Trickery if I'm doing blue-red Gandalf Sanction. Yeah, I like Trickery over Grishnok for that reason, and I think I have finally internalized that Grishnok is non-legendary at this point. I've, I've done <laughs> it wrong like five times, and I'm, I think I'm finally on board. Lol, that's funny. Um, yeah, pick seven, I get, wow, Amor of the Rittermark. Four and a red, five, four haste. If it, uh, when it attacks, if it's the, the greatest power on the battlefield, you get a one-one. That's pretty sick. And I think probably trying to lock into blue-red at this point. Yeah, I think once you get Aomer, you're thinking you're 90% to be blue-red or something. Yeah, and this deck ended up just a true dream. I had triple Gandalf sanction at the end of this. Um, triple smite the deathless. Like, bas- almost no creatures, basically. Like, an Aomer, uh, a Goblin Fireleaper, and a Pelager Survivor, I think, were my only creatures. Um, and the deck just hummed along. I did have, I have to shout this out, did have a, a sad moment. So I had th- three copies of Quarrel's End in the deck, which I really liked quite a bit. That's the two in red sorcery as an additional cost to cast it. You discard a card and then you draw two and and make a one, one white human soldier creature token. I had this reprieved the other day. Oh my God, that's so brutal. I was like playing against, I don't know, white, green, white, black, cast my Quarrel's <laughs> oh my End, God. discarded a card, my opponent cast reprieve. I was like, are you kidding me? That is savage. Yeah. And one of my my favorite play patterns of this deck was being able to quarrels end away the council's deliberations, the one and a blue draw card. And then when you scry, if you control an island, you can exile it to draw a card. And only had just a couple ways to to scry. I think just the two copies of Arwen's gift that I did end up with. Oh, and, and a Lembus gave me the scry. But then just late in the game, getting those free draws off the council's deliberation is just chef's kiss. Love it. All right. What do you got for me? I've got the main course for you, baby. We're going to dive <laughs> into an outline for Blue White Bath Song or my my Twitch chat since people have salt roped me so much have taken to calling it Bath Salts. Bath Salts. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Okay. So this is Blue White Control, but also Bath Song is just excellent in any control deck, whether it's Blue Red or Blue Black or Blue White. So Bath Song is three and a blue for a saga. Chapters one and two, you draw two cards, discard a card. And then on chapter three, you can shuffle any number of cards from your graveyard back into your library, and then you add blue, blue to your mana pool. I would say the Bath Song is no hyperbole, because I am prone to hyperbole, the best uncommon in the set. And the data says that it is not 
close to that because I looked this morning because I was curious. I The ceiling on its power level is absurd and it is a huge reason to build a control deck. I mean, I, I believe you. I'm, I'm in for this. I love this kind of card. I love this kind of deck. I want to hear how it works. And well, you don't even have to loop it necessarily. Right. It's just an excellent card in control decks. But we're going to go deep into, into blue-white loops here. So what you're trying to do is build a classic control deck with card advantage, removal, a little bit of counter magic, some defensive speed. And then your game plan is just don't die, don't die, don't die, don't die. Loop your deck with the bass song a little bit. And we'll talk about how to do that. But then eventually you just win. But this deck is not for the faint of heart at all. I would say this is about as advanced of a deck as you can draft in the format. It's really difficult to draft. It's difficult to pilot. And the games are long. Like they take about 20 to 30 minutes each. And you're faced with so many decisions because of how many cards you see and how much looting you do because of the bass song and ring tempting and what's going to be a ring bearer. There's just a ton of decisions, which is the sign, I think, of a powerful deck which is why I feel pretty confident this deck is excellent. Yeah, if you're looking for like not being able to rank up very quickly or if you like <laughs> if you really want like a good bang for your gem slash gold buck or your ticket buck on MTGO, this is the deck for you. Oh wait, no, this is not the deck for you on MTGO because you will 100% timeout. 100% timeout, but it is excellent value per gem spent as far as time spent playing the game. I have played a lot of this format, and it does not show in the number of games I've won. <laughs> I was looking where I was at on the leaderboard, and I'm like, I don't know, respectable, like top 100 or something, but I've, I've only got like 70 games won, but my games take so long. Like people, people were coming into stream and were like, wait, I went and ate lunch and walked my dog and did this <laughs> other thing and you're still playing this deck? And I was like, mm, yep, only a couple games down the road. Stick around for a while, we'll get there. And usually I would think that you would be like stressed about that, but you are just happy as a clam. Oh, I'm swimming in the bathwater, baby. It's it's beautiful. <laughs> so yeah. the way the loop works is you get two copies of the bass song and they can shuffle each other back in. That's the the easiest, cleanest way to do it. But even that can be a little awkward at times because if your second copy is down deep enough in your deck, like you're going to draw more cards before you get to the third chapter. And so you actually can't quite loop them sometimes. Like I've run into that a few times. But the other ways to do it is Samwise the Stouthearted. That's the uh, the uncommon that can pick up a permanent one th that went to your graveyard this turn. So on the turn that the Bath Song goes to chapter three, you shuffle some stuff back in and then cast your Samwise and pick the Bath Song back up. And usually, like, just putting stuff in your deck once is enough to win the game, but it's it's nice to know that you can go infinite. Um, so Samwise does it, and then you can also, I've splashed green for Revive the Shire. That's the one in a green, rebuy a permanent, make a food token. That also is great with the Bath Song, because you see enough of your deck that the splash isn't that impactful to your mana base. And then you, you never want Revive the Shire until very late in the game, but it's nice to be able to always rebuy the Bath Song on command with without the issue of the two Bath Songs, like drawing the second one too late and accidentally decking yourself. Okay, so aside from a million card draw spells, what do you need to make this deck work? You need, I think, a very careful shell that I just kind of happily stumbled upon by accident pretty early. Actually, shout out to Crokies. Like, Crokies gave me the blueprint for this deck <laughs> in early Known access. limited grinder Crokies I mean, showing I them the way. I can't take credit. I got absolutely demoralized, and then all I wanted to do was share that feeling <laughs> with other people. So you need removal, I think three to five pieces, and all of your interaction needs to go to the graveyard. We've said it, but no our removal 100%. So 
two copies of Banish from Edoras is best. That's the, the four and white exile spell that costs three when your stuff's tapped. And it essentially costs three in this deck because your opponents are always trying to kill you, which is why Banish is so awesome. You, I've played three before, but two is better than one because you really need to find one copy of it at least. And then Lost to Legend, that's the white, white um, shuffle a historic thing four deep into the library. That is also just incredible efficient interaction in the deck. And then you can you can play Isolation of Orthanc or Soothing of Smeagol. Those are fine. And I think Soothing of Smeagol goes up in value the more card draw you have because you're more willing to just fire it off for card disadvantage to not fall behind. Like the whole name of the game with the deck is basically don't be behind when you go to cast a card draw spell. It's hopefully the Bass Song, but Lorien revealed too sometimes. And then once you fire off that card draw spell when you're not behind, it's pretty straightforward to just not die from there. Okay, that all makes sense. Okay, so you've got your removal, and then you need the card draw and the loopers, obviously. So again, I think like three to five pieces here. Ideally, two bath songs, some combination of Samwise, Revive the Shire, at least one Lorien Revealed. That's the uh, Island Cycler draw three. Two of those, if you don't have a second bath song or if you don't have a way to loop, because you do really want to be able to draw cards. And then you can play Arwen's Gift, but it's not important you to just play it if you don't get the other pieces. Okay. Oh, you said it. You said it. Arwen's Gift, not important. But the thing is... I really value locking up the copy early because if you're getting late in it and you don't have enough card draw, it's kind of a disaster. That's why I'll pick them fairly aggressively because I want to steer towards this anyway. And then it's like checking boxes as you're going through the draft and then you've already got an Arwen's Gift box check. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I have to trust you. It just feels like it's the easiest box to check because blue has card draw in spades. I agree. But what if you pass on them in pack one and pack two? And then like then you're praying like, do they get open in pack three? Like then it's kind of a sweat. Then you have to make sure it wheels because you need to take better things over them. Yeah, that makes sense. You can just get yourself in a jam. So you also want counter magic, three to four pieces of counter magic. I think stern scolding is the best possible because it's so cheap. That's the single blue counter something if its power or toughness was two or less. Card is incredible on the turns that you can like with five mana, play a bath song and then hold up stern scolding to not fall even further behind or, you know, some card draw spell. It just helps you keep the board manageable. Saruman's trickery also excellent. It's the, the one blue blue counter anything, a mass one. That's really important because you know you're always going to get whatever your opponent plays when you hold it up. And then mm-hmm. Glorious Gale, as we've alluded to, playable if you don't get the other two. I, I do uh, you know, want to play a Glorious Gale or two in the deck often, but Stern Scolding and Saruman's Trickery are definitely better than Glorious Gale. Cool. That all checks out. Okay, so you also need defensive speed to not die. I think, again, three to four pieces of this other than the counter magic, because the counter magic a lot of times goes low in your curve as well. So you want the two drop pretty filled out between counter magic and some defensive speed. Prince Imrahil is the best. That's the the uncommon blue-white 2-2 that when you draw your second card makes 1-1s. The 1-1s are incredible chump blockers to not die or fall too far behind while you're drawing cards. And then the deck always wants one copy of Westfold Rider to this be able to randomly really deal surprising. Yeah. With, with opposing artifacts and enchantments. That's the 3-1 that can sack to destroy an artifact or enchantment because when it sacks itself, it goes to the graveyard and then you can loop it mm. back in with Bass Song. You also 
feel fine about blocking with it early because you know you can get it back in your deck. But it's it's important to have outs to some of the randomly great artifacts and enchantments, specifically against blue-red. The the enchantment that deals two to you can be yeah. very troublesome. Okay. You also really want one three bodies. Pelagir Survivor is the best of them. That's the, the one three that adds mana, but all of them are fairly interchangeable. And those one three bodies are a lot of times the things you're hoping to pick up on the wheel. Like the whatever, the, the Nimble Hobbit. Yeah, Nimble Hobbit, totally fine. Happy running a Nimble Hobbit or two because it just blocks. You don't feel bad trading it off. And then late in the game, there just are actually excellent ring bearers. And a lot of times the game goes long enough that you you do get the ring up to four most of the time. Interesting. Okay. Glue cards. Treason of Isengard is a huge reason this deck is so powerful. Um, it's two and a blue, a mass two, and then you can put something from your graveyard back on top of your deck. You really want one to two copies of Treason of Isengard because it's a copy of everything in your deck because you see your deck so much. So like... <laughs> You know, if you've got Banished from Edoras, once you find your one copy of Banished from Edoras, Treason of Isengard can be a Banished from Edoras. Once you cycle Lorien Revealed, you know, Banished from Edoras can re-put that Lorien Revealed back on top. So its flexibility is just absolutely incredible and, and irreplaceable in the deck. And sometimes you don't need it at all, but when you need it, it is so good. And I keep making a play mistake sometimes with the Bass Song. I, I have a Treason in my hand and I get so excited to shuffle my graveyard back in that a lot of times it's correct to think about what one spell you want to leave in the graveyard for your Treason of Isengard. I messed that up multiple times. Yeah, I was going to ask if there's any tension there. So it sounds like, yes, there is a little bit. There is, but not really. Like, Treason's good. You just have to not mess up (laughs) playing. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And then you also, life gain, important piece we talked about. You want two to three cards dedicated to life gain. Two Lembus is ideal, at least one for sure. Bill the Pony is an incredible card in the deck, just does a one four that makes two food. The, the two and a white two three that brings a food along with it, also fine filler in the deck as well. Because there's like critical turns on like six, seven, eight, where your opponent's ahead and you have to cast a card draw spell and then stabilize after that. So being able to get your life total back up is pretty important as well. Well, and especially because of all of Red's ability to go face with like Ranger's Firebrand, Improvised Club, if they're playing like Fiery Inscription, the enchantment that deals two on spells, or even the stupid 2-1 that pings, like you can get to quote unquote stable against Red decks and then still die. Yes. Yeah, been there, been there, done that for sure. (laughs) And then just other cards that don't fall into those categories strictly that are great in the deck. Birthday Escape is great because you want the velocity just to find the cards in your deck that are the key pieces, specifically the Bass Song. Um, Horses of Bruinen is incredible. Five mana to bounce two things, scry, ring tempt you, all stuff you're interested in and almost always helps catch you back up after you've fallen behind. Would play two to three copies of Horses of the Bruinen quite happily, I think. Tale of Tenuvial, very good because as we've talked about, kind of says the game stops for two turns and all this deck wants to do is stop the game and then errand rider is a great kind of defensive speed and card advantage card just the, the three two because you have you want the legends that are two drops and mm-hmm. so a lot of times it is a three two draw card that card's excellent in the deck and then just any other card that helps you avoid dying the name of the game is have the game go as long as possible. And the longer the game goes, it kind of works like a deck building game. Like, have you ever played Dominion or any of those yeah. deck building games? Like, the longer the game goes, the better your deck gets and the worse 
your opponents gets because eventually they're hitting some land comps or they're drawing dead and your deck is just stone full of gas the longer the game goes yeah that makes sense it really is a classic like i think you're rarely getting to the actual like loop your deck like you said really just one shuffle is often all you need um but it really is like just as long as you don't die you're gonna win and as much as i hate to admit it there are times where you're close to dying and you have to kill your opponent through attacking with the ring bearer it's or something like that it's it's not it is it really is embarrassing it's it's shameful and it's not all loops I, like rarely have i won from bass songing multiple times the, the first time you bass song is usually enough but sometimes it is important to rebuy it because if you only have one bass song the first one you fire fire off early like on turn four or turn five that's not the one that wins you the game like the bass song that happens on turn 11 like that's the one that wins you the game <laughs> <laughs> and just to be clear, like if you're trying to quote unquote loop them, like if you have two bath songs, you have to find them in your what top six like they can't if they're your bottom six cards you lose right and like sometimes you're wanting to ring bear in there and loot like yeah. sometimes you have faramir and you're forced to draw cards like okay. it, you have to be a little worried about decking with, with the two <laughs> bath song variety okay okay just just wanted to clarify that for our listeners yeah and then just a couple cards to avoid that look like they might belong. Guahir, terrible. Like you're just not interested in it. Reprieve, uh, that's the one on a white, draw a card, um, and then return a spell back to its owner's hand. That is a tempo aggro card. Like It's at its best in red-white or something like that. You, you don't want it in blue-white at all. Mm, interesting, okay. And then Saruman, just like too clunky, five mana, four, four, and when you cast your second spell each turn, you amass two. If you're casting two spells a turn, you're already winning the game. Like You, you don't need Saruman to help you do that. And then Hobbit Sting, you just don't have enough of a board presence for that to be a good card. And then you also just randomly get some great rares. I think the, the biggest thing is how powerful the bath song is. It, it is wild to me that it's as low as it is in game and hand win rate. Uh, no, I, again, I am a little lost in the sauce here. No hyperbole. The ceiling on the power level of bath song is incredibly high in a control deck. The, the third chapter giving you blue blue is unreal good <laughs> because you have like, that's the turn where you have like 10 mana and you're like kill your thing play this other thing loot do this other thing bam like and you're just stable mabel after the third chapter of the bass song goes off uh, one thing i wanted to ask you about this is other than revive the shire sometimes are you splashing often in this blue white deck no straight blue white is best if you have to you'll splash green for for survive the shire but it is best as straight blue white i think okay sweet but you can also the the theory here too the, the thing i want to shout out even more than this blue white loops deck which is awesome and if you want to have some fun and play a very difficult deck you should try to draft this deck and i think you'll have maybe mixed success while you figure it out and it is certainly not gonna be a tier one strategy unless you're used to drafting and piloting decks like this and if you are i do think it is a tier one strategy if you're not used to drafting and piloting decks like this there will be some growing pains for sure because the sheer number of decisions about how to not die is pretty overwhelming at times mm, yeah that checks out but i will say just blue decks in general blue red blue white blue black this is my pitch i, I casting divination or casting lorian revealed if you can be stable when you cast those cards oftentimes those cards are game winning and the fact that you get a play lorian revealed for little to no opportunity cost to your deck 
as an island cycler is an incredible incentive to build a control deck, I think. I'm kind of salivating right now, I'm going to be honest. (laughs) Very excited. And blue-black just gives you all the goods, right? Because the black cards are great, and then the blue gives you the card advantage. For sure. I I do feel very strongly that you should build blue-black as a control deck. Bass Song's great there, even if you're not looping it. And blue-red wants all these blue spells. Like, And and blue-red, again, can be two ways. The ring-tempting version of blue-red is much more like, proactive, mid-rangey, can be controlling. Or you can do what you've talked about, that deck you drafted, where we looked at the draft log, the Gandalf sanction, you know, the the fiery enchantment, whatever that's called. Fiery inscription. Fiery inscription that domes your opponent for two. That version, like, really wants to function like a control deck. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I just, card draw is good again, and I I am here for it. I am having a blast casting my my Lorien Reveals. It took us, what, five years, but we're back to avoiding the aggro trap, basically. That's how I feel about this format. And the thing that I can't shake about it, and I'm sure other people are better at piloting aggro decks than me, but when I draft the format, the way the data says, or the way the most face-up power level on cards, when I draft black red or black white or whatever, I find myself mashing similar decks against each other in mythic. And it's hard to get an edge that way. And again, I just feel like I'm playing on a totally different plane when I'm playing these blue control decks. And my role is very clear. Don't die, cast some card draw spells, and then bury my opponent in card advantage. And I like having a clearly defined role like that. I also play my best magic, I think, when I'm behind. (laughs) I don't know what that says about me, but... (laughs) That's when I concentrate the hardest. It's very funny. I do think you are a cautious, even when you're an an aggressive player. Like I I feel like you're a little cautious about pushing damage or about trading off, and it makes sense. You're just like, no, I'm just I'm I'm in my happy place. I'm turtling up and I'm burying my opponent in card draw. Yeah, trying to just close down slowly on the ways that things could go wrong. Love it. All right, anything else that you want to get off? I have feel like I've spouted off a lot. I don't usually talk that much in a row. Yeah, it's usually me monologuing about the the niche decks, but I wanted to give you one an opportunity to talk about this archetype because I don't see people drafting decks like this otherwise, and I don't see blue being appreciated the way that you are appreciating it in this format. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to outline this early in the lifetime of this format, because I think you've uncovered something really powerful. I do too. And I will say, I think as red and black get more contested, yes, this is definitely going to be the place to be like maybe in a week or two. And again, this is a hard deck to draft and pilot. So if you listen to this episode and you're like, oh yeah, I'm fired up. I'm going to draft this blue, white, don't die deck. And then you like one three with it. That's certainly possible. I mean, if you you run up against great red, black decks, red, white is also sometimes a, a tough one, depending on how the game plays out. Like if they get off to a great start. So it's certainly a, a difficult deck to draft and pilot. So, you know, fair warning. I don't necessarily think this is the end all be all answer for everyone, but it is certainly a thing that I think people would benefit from trying to learn how to do if they're not already comfortable drafting decks like this. Yeah. And and I will say also, every card in the deck needs to be dedicated to you not dying. There's no no room for cards that attack or just randomly good cards. Just figure out how to play defense and turtle up. No no randomly good cards in this deck. You well, I mean, you can't. First. No, you can't play randomly good cards. That's not true. Like you're slamming Faramir for sure. A- another thing that I just kind of want to shout out on the format in general. I'm so fired up about this format. I have had the most fun playing Magic in forever. I have done a lot of deck techs on stream and been in our What's the Build channel in uh, the Lords of Limited Discord a lot. I have seen a lot of suspect inclusions. <laughs> in decks like just as far as like i would you know i don't i 
not a huge fan of the data. Like, I think people would maybe benefit from looking at the data and just seeing what the good cards are. Because if you're trying to do something like this, like draft with preferences or draft to end up in a blue red deck, like one of the most important things about drafting with preferences, I was just listening to Ham and Lola's Art of Draft podcast on the way home before we sat down to record, which is great. You should check it out if you're not already listening. They were they were talking a lot about drafting with preferences. You're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble trying to do that if you don't have excellent baselines in your head about exactly how good every card is, whether that's from the data or from your own you know, card evaluation skills. Once you start to get into these advanced strategies, you have to have super solid fundamental card evaluation baselines. And and even putting good cards in a bad deck. Like if you're if you're a blue red control deck, no way do you want that one in a red two one that pings when you cast yeah. instant or sorceries. Like maybe the enchantment to help you win, but that two one only goes in a hyper aggressive deck. And I don't think that's the best style of deck you can draft for a spells deck. There's a lot of thoughts I think about what if when people are putting like suspect includes like well what if the board stalls out and i need this card or what if i'm aggressive and i fall behind and i need card draw to get it's like you're in a, a bad spot anyway don't build your deck in these what if corner case scenarios build your deck i mean with with optimism right with like this is my deck's plan this is what i'm going to do and that goes back to how ben is talking about this blue white deck of like every card needs to be about this game plan it can't just be like oh well i'm also i'm going to put in this like when this card doesn't exist, but like, you know, this one mana two one is really good. No, that card doesn't matter at all. Right. That in there like that doesn't. Yeah, sure. Maybe that's a good card in another deck or like has good stats, but it doesn't do anything for this deck's game plan. So it doesn't belong. Right. Well, last disclaimer here. I think if you steer towards blue or you value blue as highly as I do, you end up in black less, which is probably bad for your your overall win rate, but it is excellent for your enjoyment. And not to say like I'm winning fine, have like whatever, a 64% win rate. And my win rate on blue, red and blue, white has got to be above 75%, I would guess when I'm playing those color pairs. But I would also say it makes sense that my win rate's way higher in those color pairs because I am actively steering towards I want to be this. So when I get pushed out of it, like I've already made some opportunity cost picks, <laughs> like probably picking the wrong card or a slightly suboptimal card. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, that so makes sense. Just full full disclaimers out there before people you know draft this deck and, and experience its awesomeness or try it and hate it and never do it again. Sweet. All right, there you have it. Great place to wrap us up. Go forward, bathe your opponents in <laughs> salt and keep them clean. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to CoolStuffInc.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to Cool Stuff to, uh, you know, as Ben said, buy a box of uh, Lord of the Rings, Tales of Middle Earth to put in your closet for a rainy day. When you do, use code LOL at checkout to let them know we sent you over there and to get 5% off anything you purchase on their website. We would really appreciate it. Uh, you can check us out on our website, lordsoflimited.com. We've got our updated tier list. We've got our merch. We've got links to our streams and our YouTube channel, and we've got links to all of our social media. If you've got any questions about the podcast, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. 